0: Hello and welcome to Red's Business and Technology Podcast. I'm your host, Jackson Barnes. I'm your co-host, Brad Ferris. Today, we're sitting down with two guests, Lucas Meadowcroft and Dean Kavanagh. Thanks for coming in. Really appreciate your time. We're speaking about the journey through the business and technology world that you've gone through, AI and everything happening in the last 12 months and the future 12 months. So looking forward to getting some more insights. Um, maybe if you want to start, Lucas, with an uh, introduction to who you are, or the, the, give me the quick version, maybe the one-minute version, then we'll jump over to Dean.
1: Yeah, thanks for having us, guys. Uh, Lucas Buttercroft, uh, CEO, co-founder of uh, a few tech businesses, uh, in this case, uh, Crofty and Tribu, which is what we're talking about today, which is all things AI.
2: Hey, guys, Dean Kavanagh. Uh, I'm CTO for Crofty and for Tribu, one of the co-founders there. Um, and no, that. what else are we talking about? And that's it. That's good. We'll just we be throwing yeah. questions
0: at you, mate. Do you want to
2: get
3: some this insights around some, AI? We've been just crushing the intros yeah. today. Yeah. <laughs> just for everyone listening, <laughs> this
0: is our third attempt at it. alright <laughs> All right, let, let's, get, let's kick off maybe, Lucas, you we to go through your business journey. Uh, obviously, yeah, we know a little bit about the background, but maybe if you introduce your kind of journey to get to where you are now.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So MSP is my complete world for the last 20 years, uh, MSP being the many service provider, essentially what Red provides on a daily basis. Um that journey really quickly evolved from uh, being an IT engineer on the road you know going and servicing clients to uh, doing more account management sales uh, through to then running an MSP and uh, and focusing on the business world so I was thrown into the uh, the business world ie running the business um, what 15 years ago uh, and then had to learn all things uh, business and not MSP and not, not technical. What I found throughout that journey was uh, well, I guess what I loved is listening to customers about actually what they wanted to solve in their business, and what I realized really quickly was IT support was like uh, essentially a just uh, something that they uh, already expected. It's like what the next step was. So looking at innovation, looking at, back then, it was like very you know Excel spreadsheet process improvement. Um, how do we use our, How do we get the information out of our uh, out of our spreadsheets? And what can we do with that data? And obviously, over the last fifteen years, it's evolved um, from you know implementing all the systems you can think of uh, on the planet. I think we've implemented over a thousand different systems now. Um, and then the last, you know, four years has been very much AI um, business process uh, automation driven.
0: So you, mean, you went from essentially tech to more account management. And then what you were just passionate about was the innovation that that, that, that um, technology had into businesses. And that's why you essentially, because you exited the MSP and then do this full time now, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So we exited the uh, Crofty IT support MSP two years ago. Uh, we we went all in on AI from a tribute standpoint. Our tribute organization four years ago, um, and we're providing AI consulting to organizations around the country and even overseas.
0: Cool. Let's go maybe the tribute story first, then we'll jump over to Dean.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's a good segue anyway because uh, this is uh, essentially his baby. Okay. So um, the biggest uh, pain points we had in our MSP was essentially why we started tribute. Um, so the, what we were already say, sol- trying to solve, manually solve with Excel spreadsheets and, and exporting data around the PSAs and I'll let Dean dive into that bit further. Um, that's how the Tribune journey uh, started. But what we realised quickly uh, over that, you know say first six to 12 months, it wasn't just us that had the problem. It was every MSP we spoke to. So anytime you go to an MSP conference and you have the conversation about what you're doing in your MSP, and then we started having a conversation around, well, this is what we're trying to do. This is what we're trying to solve. They said, oh, can you like solve it for me too? Uh, so it just evolved from solving it for us to solving it for others. So yep. i didn't dive into the technical stuff What was that
2: problem? Uh, we were targeting the triage. So as tickets come in, getting them uh, categorised correctly, yep. getting them to the right technicians, the right board or – Q, depending on what system you're in that sort of initial let's deal with the ticket up front and get it to the right people the right place the right category
3: so, so
1: scheduling
2: that's that's a big part mm-hmm. of uh, of getting it to the right schedule yeah
1: you have to tell the excel spreadsheet story working with the with technicians well, and engineers
2: yeah so it, it's i guess that comes down to prioritizing tickets and helping engineers i guess when the, the technicians if they're starting to get overwhelmed say they've got 20 odd 25 tickets in their ticket queue to help out various customers across a lot of different clients um, a lot of them just get to a point where they bury the head in the sand yeah I, I don't know where to start and they either start cherry picking clients that they like the most maybe yep. or the problem that's easiest to solve yep. whatever instead of doing what they should be doing now so yep. we used to export it out to a spreadsheet each each technician had their own spreadsheet and they'd have to go through the start of the day and go right this is what you're doing in the order that you're doing it in and deal with it that way. So we that's part of the prioritization that came out of it as well.
1: Yeah, wow. So literally sitting there, so the technician (coughs) rocks up in the morning, they can see, I have to do this job. And then I have to do this one, and then I have to do this one, and they couldn't move on to the next one until they did that job. Yeah. So very much hand holding. Mm-hmm. But that's, we found super when super
2: micromanagement,
1: super it's micromanagement, yeah. yeah, do not recommend. Yeah. But what, I guess what Dean, because Dean's very you know very technical. What um, what I noticed throughout that journey is the output we got from technicians, this and the also the, the happiness we got from the techs as well or engineers uh, because they love structure. Yeah, yeah. they want to be told what to do, and so they're happier. And we got better outputs because I know Dean wasn't happy doing the manual export job. <laughs> that's three hours of my life that every day single day. Yeah, um, but it was a great outcome for the company, and so that's we went okay. Well, this can't be a manual job for Dean for the next ten years. Yeah. Then how do we turn that into an actual um, you know product to solve? Our Makes problem.
0: sense. Let's um listening. Let's, let's go your background. Where what, what did you do? Is you were just a technician in an MSP before? This, yeah,
2: a, it was a fairly um, I guess common sort of um, path, starting out as just a a technician and in the early days, so 23 years I've been in this industry um, and across technology. Uh, In the early days, I was actually Lucas's manager um, back when he started, so I've got three years on him on this. (laughs) Um, But just go through just working with small business largely and a few home consumers as well in the very early days, which I won't go back to. Um, Teaching and, people how to use Facebook for yeah, the first time. All, all that sort of fun stuff. And then moving more into business projects. And I guess that sort of project um, focus became a big part of it. Understanding scope, understanding outcomes uh, from a business perspective and a total strategy for a company. Okay. And quite often realising that uh, most customers don't know what they want. Um, they, they know they want an outcome. They know they want to change something, but they don't know where to start.
0: And that's really where a lot of this fostered. Typically, it works better if um, you know some uh, potential customer comes to you with the problem they're facing more so than what they want. Otherwise, yeah, uh, it right. was mm-hmm. a bad outcome. But um, let, let's uh, keen on picking your brains on AI. What's happening in that industry? Because I feel like it's a lot of hype around it now, and that kind of thing. And it's almost yeah. a bit ridiculous in terms of what AI is, because all these marketing companies just rebadge any mm-hmm. level of technology automation as AI these days. Mm-hmm. Maybe Dan, if you want to go, what is, what is AI in your words? Uh, so I guess I won't go too technical
2: into it. Um, but essentially it's mimicking our decision-making um, as humans, our decision-making skills. Uh, taking from what we've learnt, our experiences, and then being able to go, well, this is most likely this. And AI is largely around probabil- probability to do things uh, or what, whatever the answer should be. Um, and that's essentially what we're doing as humans. We might think we know the answer 100%, but there's always just this sliver, sliver of doubt, I guess, behind things often. Um, And that's essentially what AI is as well. That's important for everyone to consider. It's never going to be 100% right. Mm. Humans are never 100% right. So can't expect it to be the same in the
0: machine. Yeah. And um, maybe either anyone either want to say this one. How has AI in the last twelve months changed the business world? Maybe, maybe an example of um, something AI that you've put into a business, for example.
1: Well, I, I think the biggest thing that's changed is we can have a conversation with someone about AI now. <laughs> so, for for three years previously, we were hitting our heads against a brick wall. We could not talk to anyone about it. No one would listen to us. Um, you know, that was our entire world for a long time. And it's like, well, I say a long time. Long time in the in the uh, tech space. Uh, and we just couldn't talk to anyone. It was just not like it was really difficult to have that conversation.
3: So is that basically off the back of ChatGPT? I guess. Yeah. Yep. ChatGPT
1: launches within a few weeks. People now know what AI is, and next minute the only conversation we're having about <laughs> is AI. about AI. Yeah. Um, so that's for I guess from a personal journey because you know even within the early days when we raised capital from VCs in in the US, even having an AI conversation then it was still very much a unknown um, conversation. So I was like, oh, I think it's this, and actually every investor thought it was something different. Um, right. So even that was a hard conversation uh, compared to these days. From a business perspective, um, yeah, like AI can be used, utilized across the entire um, board when it comes to your organization, whether it's marketing, sales, operations, service delivery, uh, or product development, and even uh, HR people and culture, Um, finance, like it can be utilized in every aspect of the business, right? The biggest um, disconnect I find in the conversation we have these days when it comes to AI is, um, well, we just need AI. What does that mean? And so we always talk about this, it's like 95% of what actually what we do is is automation, 5%, which is what Dean was talking about, the decision-making, 5% is AI, 95% is just pure automation, which we've been doing for 20 years. so that's that that's the interesting conversations that we're educating people mm. on what ai is these days
0: um we've definitely seen that and yeah like exactly. i said I think everything's remarketed as ai um these yeah. days have you got an example maybe this the scene field this thing on what you've done maybe a cool ai project for a business locally
1: yeah this is dean's entire world i would probably pick the like the um the business insights um like just be able to extract data and and forecast data that Customers didn't know where their business were previously. There was a,
2: um, okay, so for a couple of examples, I guess. One was for an energy company, um, and we kind of uncovered something that they didn't necessarily understand from their data. Now, this isn't a huge amount of AI in it necessarily, but it lets them forecast into it. Um, but essentially, we would pick out the, their contracts, um, essentially from the time that they get paid versus when the job is finished. And it was like 40 days as a as a gap, and it varied <clears throat> a lot. The value of the contract didn't matter. It, was, it could be for a $1,000 contract or a $4,000 contract. It did, didn't really matter. What it turned out to be is the reason that it could vary from two days from payment or 40 days to get payment was purely because there was a report that needed to be written in between before payment could happen. So the sooner the report got written, the sooner that sort of cash flow would tighten right up. Um, and they weren't able to visualise that or see that, and then we could start to measure that and forecast, okay, well, this is what your cash flow is going to start to look like as you, you know, bring this closer. So that's, that's the insights side of things. In terms of some of the, um, the actual, I guess, AI predictions, um, has largely been around, say, email, for example, being able to classify what has actually been coming into a group email inbox. Um, this is partly where Tribute kind of sits as well. Um, that's very focused on IT support but this was just a general all emails uh, received at this company all went through one mailbox Um, pretty interesting sort of strategy but it is what it is they thought everything was related to getting quotes and they they were getting let's say 200 emails a day they thought it was almost all quotes so we were working around some automation on that what we found out was when we start to classify those emails for them um, it turns out that it was only about 30% as quotes and the rest of it is just general inquiries, uh, invoice follow-ups, things like that. Um, and then we realise okay, once you can see that and it's automatically categorizing it for you, you can start to target, well, actually, if we can take this other quarter to a third of your emails and automate some of the responses back with the general information that they want, that's like, that's a third of the workload. And this is 12 staff manning an inbox mm. um that's that's a third of that workload taken off their shoulders straight off the bat and you so built the solution the sort of things, to yeah we built that? yeah so we built out the categorization to be able to right. build that out mm. we hadn't got to the how we automate some of the uh q a the q a side of it and i don't know how much you want to go down on this path but a lot of that being able to answer things mm. properly and the way that the company wants to requires yep. the company to have good data themselves mm. Uh, and that's where things can get a bit tricky.
0: That's probably a good segue, because so I was gonna ask one of the questions is, how do businesses now um, get their data ready for AI in the future, right? Because even now you've got like you know Adobe and like all these others, like Canva, and all has like their AI kind of add-ons, right? But if you don't have um, the data in the right section and it's already you know, in the right kind of format, you can't really leverage it. What advice would you have for businesses to get ready to
1: leverage AI in the future? I think thinking Google, place plays start is actually, structured versus unstructured data.
2: Yeah, okay. So uh, I guess around structured data, um, which is it, it has labels. It's already got labels in it. If we take, for example, um, well, I'll pick on you guys with your tickets. You've probably, you've, you've had a bunch of support requests coming over time. You guys have labels for them. You know, this is a support query about email, whatever it is, things like that. That's essentially you've structured that data. We know what this looks like and it equals that. Unstructured is where, hey, we've just got this mess of documents, could contain anything, I don't know what it is. That's unstructured. So when we build models around that, we don't know what the result is. All we can say is, hey, we've created this model around a bunch of documents. Um, this new one that's coming in, it looks like this group of documents. Go and look at that group, and that's, you, you've got a, a match. If you think about it, it's like a persona for a document or whatever the case may be. So it helps in that sort of space. You still need to categorize it at some point. So, for when it comes time for how companies can implement this, it is largely around creating good, typically good processes up front to understand what the process is for whether it's a workload, whatever the workload is, whether it's production, office administration, that sort of stuff, to have a good process in place that when this equals this, do this thing. When I see this, but it also has this other thing in it, it's going to go a slightly different way, whatever the case may be. It's a lot of business rules, but typically, if, even if it's just a human learned behavior and it's gone a particular path, that's where I can pick up and uh, say, oh, okay, well,
0: this content moved along this path, I'm gonna move it along for it. So your advice there is to essentially evaluate where information's coming into the business and make sure it's categorized and um, set up in a way where in the future you can potentially automate that. That, that. Yeah. that will get you the cleanest
2: results typically. Yeah. Um, if you don't have that, and I know that can be hard for a lot of businesses to kind of set that up. Um, the next thing I guess I would focus on is at least some level of consistency. Make sure that the way things happen in the business remain consistent for a period of time. It might be you might have to micromanage a little bit to make that happen, but then you can at least pick that up, um, even if it's for a, a few months. Whatever the case may be, you've got a few months of good behaviour in a process the AI can then learn from and start to replicate for you.
3: I assume also if you've got your data set up like that, when you do come down the road to do some sort of analytics or insight or automation projects, it can be a lot cheaper. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. <laughs> it yeah. makes it so much so easier. So there's yeah. probably some incentive yes, right there.
0: absolutely. <laughs> We're seeing that as a blocker sometimes when you put automation in place, right, and the business is like, we want to automate this. Then you have a look at it and it's just not in the right format. Therefore, someone internally has got to spend weeks going and getting it done yeah. properly, and, that, and then it just doesn't happen. Uh, that's right. It's a bit of a problem. What other roadblocks have you seen from businesses not being able to leverage automation or AI um, because of a other issue? Uh,
2: typically it's been around, uh, we'll go controversial and say people, people right. that don't want to adopt it mm. or people that will throw a spanner in the works because they think they're under threat, I guess, their role, whatever the case may be. Um, and also around accuracy. A lot of people get worried about accuracy. Yep. Uh, they're probably the two... The, big roadblocks when, when you've got the data thing sorted and a good process, it's gonna be people and accuracy and understanding really where accuracy sits. So I don't know if you wanna dive in on either of those two points.
0: Well, how do you get past those blockers around the people
1: piece? It's gotta come from leadership. Um, the companies who we've been working with that have adopted, not just AI, but have just adopted the future of working, it's uh, their mindset. Their mindset is they wanna move forward, they wanna be better, they wanna be better than their competitor, they wanna be the leader in their industry that mindset and, and drive then um, from a leader point of view then fills down to the rest of the team members um, and whether the team members that don't embrace it are there anymore or not that's a different conversation uh, but it's, it's coming from the leader and it's coming from the top.
2: I will, I will say on that side of it I guess if you can show that one leaders, leadership is using it as well but also to say hey this isn't a tool to replace you necessarily and quite often AI is not going to replace the entire workforce. That, that seems to be a nice big hype train that's out there at the moment. Um, it's going to take a long time before we're in that sort of space. That's not like the next 12 months. Um, and I see a few speakers about AI get up on stages and say, hey, everybody's under threat. It's a big danger. Mm. It, it's not around the corner. It's coming eventually. Uh, and I don't think it's going to be as big as what people are saying. That's just my personal opinion out there. But essentially, if you let, um, let your staff embrace it and – Show them how actually this elevates your career. You can you can get rid of the stuff you don't like doing and focus on the thing that you actually like doing because the AI is going to do this boring bit over here. Mm-hmm. If you happen to like the boring bit, that might be a bit hard. But
0: this normally is a career elevation for a lot of people if they embrace it. It's a good way of looking at it. It's probably something you do pretty well, Brad. He's uh, always saying, ChatGPT, ChatGPT is this thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, oh, it's going to give you a good base to start. Yeah. You, mm-hmm. know, you can save
3: however much time, depending on what you're doing. Um, I find I always have to go back in and, and edit, but it just takes away a lot of the, mm-hmm. uh, you don't have to deal with a blank page anymore. You get something to, to, to Think, manipulate and work with straight away.
1: Things that would take you hours to do is yeah. now literally five minutes. Yeah. Why would you not want to make your life better? Yeah. Um, a, a real quick example off of the back of um, what Dean said is quick wins, right? What we call quick wins. How do you How do you get leadership? How do you get staff members? How do you get anyone in the company to embrace change? essentially, AI automation, quick wins. So quick wins could be as simple as, an example the other day was like um, staff members are uh, looking at a PDF document, taking information from that PDF document and putting it into a system. That's what they do on a daily basis. Is it a full-time job? No, but it's a part of the job. So rather than doing that manually, you extract the data using AI and you input the data into the system. So it's... Automatic, you don't have to manually input that data anymore. So just, if you can show someone a quick win of how AI can be used in a business sense, then they go, oh, what else can it do? Then it opens their mind, because they don't think, like simple things like that, mm. don't realize that that is even possible. Yeah, yeah it's and, then it's,
3: and it's often just then redeploying that person to do something else that's more meaningful. What so. mm-hmm. yeah, right. would
0: you say to people who, um, I think you probably get this a lot of the time, so I'm gonna ask it um, uh, and get your response out of it. Say it's uh, accounts payable automation and I uh, no, it's big numbers. If it, the AI changes numbers here, it could be backwards heaps or you know, pay people wrong amounts, for example. Uh, do you still get pushback in that area or are people okay with that?
1: I think that's the accuracy conversation.
2: It is mm. a bit. Um, look, when it comes to hard numbers like that, and I will say a lot of the LLMs that are out there, chat GPTs, the probably the most common one, hasn't got that right 100% of the time and people need that part to be right yeah. 100% of the time so what do you do um, for those sort of things you don't have that decision-making done by the AI that's the short answer
0: uh, so it's more um, sensitive information whether it's you know dollars or whatever else um, if you're leading AI to deal with that and if there's a mistake it can have a massive business impact mm. if it's wrong so uh, which basically is accuracy right um, so your advice is to not automate those things you can automate the
2: creation but I'll, I'll put it to you guys I'm if you guys happen to have a, a large tender that's about to go out, for example, I'm sure more than one person looks at the final result. Yeah, That just remains in place. It's just the initial build and all the time that goes into building that up can be done by AI. And then you're going to have some fact checkers, let's call it, mm. on the tail end of it. That's already probably part of your process for critical information mm. to just do a check. That still happens, yeah, and you would remain. That would remain in
0: place. Someone told me yesterday that there's actually uh, an AI tool. I can't remember the name of it that can actually help you with tender responses and just uh, do eighty percent of the work. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah, interesting.
1: Out of the box today, you can do like ones that we're literally quoting on right now for clients is to automate their entire service reporting. So something that would normally take one or two full days' work to write a full service report, we can do in I know minutes or yeah,
0: right, yeah. So what are, what's the majority of the work that you're doing for businesses, um, uh, processes or functions you're putting AI into?
1: Yeah, I guess our um, background is all about business process internally. So we're not going out there and creating new AI apps and, and helping people you know solve world, world, world problems. It's really focused on the internal uh, automation aspect. So how do we remove all the mundane tasks from uh, staff members and give them time back like brad said before so they can do more meaningful work that's our core um, core aspect so that service report example so you'd be pulling from multiple systems and data sources yep multiple yep. data sources multiple systems uh, so essentially a person who needs to put an example uh, the other day was um, in the ndos space um, community worker. They would um, pull in multiple different data information from multiple different systems they use in their business. Mm-hmm. Or sorry, they wouldn't pull it. They would look at those um, systems. They might export them to spreadsheets or they might just look at the the actual application. But when they're writing their report, um, which might be a 10 or 15 page report, they are just pulling that information from those systems and then writing the report. Mm. We can automatically pull the data from the systems. We can use something like ChatGPT. It's different technology, uh, different um, back-end, but would use a similar technology, look at the information, automatically create the report, uh, get it to the final point that then the person is checking it to make sure they're, they're 100% happy with it, and then they can send it out.
3: So you'd pull all the data, You'd, you'd, you'd so, you, so you, you're you effectively creating a new data set from a bunch of disparate data, data sets. You create a new data set, then you have an LLM or something, look at that new data set and come up with some sort of insight. And then you'll have the third, per- third person, the, re- the reviewer, then check if that insight makes sense.
2: Essentially, like that. yeah. yeah. Oh, that's, cool. that, that's a big part of it. And I guess talking, because we've spoken a bit about ChatGPT here, um, and something like that, like Lucas mentioned, Indo-IS, there's obviously sensitive information about people in that sense. That's yep. not something that we would recommend goes to ChatGPT. That's a right open sort of, it's offshore, all that sort of stuff. Yep. People will ask questions about mm-hmm. security and that. Yep. You can take these LLMs and make them your own yep. in your own hosting, your own sort of data center, yep. whatever the case may be, so that it remains yours yep. and it's not third parties necessarily. Yeah, right. um, weighing in on it or maybe leveraging whatever's happening through it and having access to that data so that that is still there i i guess i bring that up because a lot of people go oh wait a minute does that mean i need to give everything to OpenAI?" yeah right no you don't um yeah. open AI is just a great tool to go well, is this in the right space to be able to do this thing yes yep. yes it is Okay, let's look at bringing this in house.
1: And out of the box, like if most, well, I say 80% of organizations have Microsoft 365 now in the SME space, you can do it within 365 ecosystem. Mm. As long as you've, you've ticked the box to say you, you want your data to be stored, say in Australia, mm. then you can go ahead and this can happen immediately.
0: What's your thoughts on uh, Copilot so far?
1: It'll be great once it's uh, publicly released <laughs> um, to the SME world. Um, we haven't doubled in too much because we've already been doing what Copilot can do behind the scenes using uh, Power Automate. Right. So from a user interface um, and a in, like a, a user in a business using Copilot on a daily basis, we haven't uh, even dove into that yet until it's yeah more publicly available to the enterprise. Side. I have a
2: lot of technical questions that sit behind it. And I'm <laughs> like, I'm like, okay, so they're saying it's doing all this. I wonder how. How well is it versus hey is it just you know an open AI plugin of sorts that has a nice little Microsoft badge to it, or is this very personalised to the business? I know uh, from others that I've spoken to that are using it because I haven't had a lot of hands-on time with it. They're saying no, it's personalised, but it's still not quite right. So, mm. uh, and I guess I do want to dive into it with my technical hat.
1: <laughs> yeah, because it can't be rolled out to SMEs uh, like per user per month scenario unless you go and buy the enterprise licences right now. Um, it's like well, you can do everything that it says it can do because mm. there 's no documentation on copilot mm. um, you can do everything out of it uh, as it would do behind the scenes using power automate anyway yeah looks cool though, but it's it does cool yeah. yeah yeah it does um, um, you know, ba- early next year, hopefully q one hopefully it'll be i don 't know, right, know unless SMB. you guys have some insights um rolled out and we can publicly start using it every day that'll be amazing
0: yeah we 'll see what happens um, yeah. definitely an exciting space uh. And I think it'll have a really positive impact on small businesses if it does get rolled out, but we'll see what happens there. Moving on for you, Dean, what's going to happen in the AI space next year? In, in your thoughts.
2: Um, we're, we're seeing a fair bit around this multimodal, so being able to deal with text as well as images and, and files and things like that. I think that's probably going to expand out a bit more. When we talk about what's happening in, I guess, the public realm, so the open AI and... Uh, now with Gemini, which I think just dropped yesterday, yeah. essentially, uh, which is looking pretty impressive. What's that? Just, so that's Google's? That's Google's. Google's Chat GPT. Yeah, basically. it's like the next level of their Bard, which was their original release. What a name. I know. Bard. Yep, that got me excited. Um, <laughs> so Gemini is much better. My, my thought is that, that multimodal stuff will probably expand out. I know they're trying to do stuff around sound and music and things like that, but yep. I don't know where that will fly, so to speak. Look, I think there'll be a lot more focus on how do we make this uh, usable to a wider range of people. I still don't think that there's a huge amount that will happen direct to businesses, as in there's not going to be uh, an open AI created plug-in into whatever your current ERP is, for example. <clears throat> It'll be up to the ERPs to create those yeah, I look So a lot of that will release, I think. Well, yeah.
3: you can save time on documents. It's still a little bit gimmicky. It really? is. Like it's... Mm. It's but, useful. Like that's why I like the prospects of Copilot, just because my understanding is just right. in 365, and that's not all we use. But a lot of our information is in 365. But f- for me being able to question what's going on mm. in my environment, and like you know, have we met with this client, or show me anything around yeah. this document, or what's Jackson been up to, or whatever. I like that, it will be able to give those somewhat, for lack of a better term, gimmicky insights, but still quite useful. Like mm-hmm. it would still save
2: me time and give me um,
3: a different perspective. So,
2: But yes, is it solving all the world's problems? Not really. No, um, but it's going to be useful. Yeah, I would say that we're going to see um, a bit more maturity. Like you mentioned before, Canva and a few of those that have AI built into them, yep. they will start to probably mature a bit more. They will actually get a lot better at what they're doing now. Like you can see where they're headed. 2024 will be a bit of maturity around that, I believe. I don't know how many massive sort of insights there are that will really big leaps forward that we'll see. It is really hard to tell, though, because it has been moving at such a pace mm-hmm. now that it's just getting a little bit and insane. I think, I think mm-hmm. that is part of the problem. Like, if I just think about
3: something you can only give it so much to look at. Mm. Um, whereas, you know, like that reporting example we mentioned before, if you can connect all these different data sources, pull out that data, and then give that you know, new data set to, to, to an AI to then, okay, look at this. So you've done a bit of that, like you said, the ninety-five percent, five percent. That's pretty powerful, and that's where you can get yeah. some real meaningful. Uh, so a business growth, yeah. Yeah.
1: I guess for the audience listening is, um, if you have an AI-first mindset. So anytime I look at a new product or, or using any of the tools internally, I go, "Well, what can I do from an AI point of view?" Before I think about what can I do out of the box. Mm-hmm. Um, example: I said yesterday we met with a client. I had to um, p- create process maps, and so I've been creating process maps for you know ten years. Um, and so you normally sit down with the client, document everything that they do in their, in their processes, accounts um, you know, accounts payable, accounts uh, receivable, document all their processes, and then you go away and spend an hour or two hours creating process maps on you know, the entire process. I said, no, AI first mindset, sat with the client, I said, do you mind if I do this with you? So I documented their process sitting with them, and at the same time as documenting, I put it directly into FigJam, which is the Figma uh, process map version. Into their new AI tool, and it, we created the process maps there and then on the spot within five minutes. The whole process map, start to finish, completely created for me. So, what's mm. what's
3: it got in it? Jam? Oh, I know FigJam. Figma.
1: FigJam is a process map uh, tool. And, and they've got some AI. So, what did? How did it save you the time? Because it created the entire process map for me.
2: Didn't have to I piece together have, all the. Bits well, and you pieces
1: just voice
0: recorded. I, t-
1: I typed. You couldn't do voice recording. I just typed out the process. So yeah, uh, yeah um, cool. So when this when this task comes in. Um, what happens after that is I then have to input that into the system. I then have to notify this person that this uh, that I've imported it. I then have to tell this person the next step, like literally the step by step. Like you, you still got to get out of the person yep. every step they go through. Yep. Yep. But once you document that inside um, the system, and I, I'm just using Figma or FigJam as an example because it's a good tool. Um, normally, you would physically go and create the diagram. You know the diagram, so create the. The shape, all the different shapes you'd use in a process map and yep. then you'd spend the next couple of hours trying to figure out if that sits right, move that arrow here, push this arrow here. Uh, it takes time, right? Yeah. hundred yeah. percent. I was not expecting it to be because it's a brand new release yep. just a couple of days ago. I was not expecting it to be perfect. It was so perfect. I got the customer to review it a few times and they said it's, it's exactly what we go through. Yeah. I think you're on right. the spot with the customer in their office. Yeah, it's
0: definitely going to mature, I think, next year, um, how AI and in, in the tools as well. Um, that are being leveraged. That's going to mature as well. Like you know, you look even prior to like ChatGPT and stuff. There was things like was it Google who had that phone thing where you could call the AI assistant five, or whatever? Five six years ago. Yeah, that was. I yeah. was going to say it's like that was a long time ago. Mm. But even today, no small business is using that. Uh, <laughs> everyone has like standard IVR stuff, kind of calling through. So um, it's probably going to mature and push out all those little things where you could leverage AI. But it'll get more products around that kind of space. And I think that's a uh, definitely good advice where that's going. Let's um, pivot a little bit, maybe looks back to you uh, raising capital uh, in Australia as a kind of tech startup. you want to explain your journey and process you went through and maybe lessons learned?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So um, when we came up with the concept, well, Dean was able to build the concept via spreadsheets, um, and then um, we wanted to turn into a product. I you know, spoke to many MSPs and they also wanted the idea. Um, we started go- diving into the world of, well, do we want to bootstrap this? Like we have the last 10 years in our you know businesses, or do we want to go get you know, get funding and go quicker? And we knew from an AI point of view, we needed funds to do that. And so that's why we made a decision, collective decision as a team. Yep, let's go to our networks, find out where we start, and let's raise capital. This is completely not our world, right? So we're talking about we're an MSP. Yeah, we're building a AI tech platform. Where the hell do we start from this point of view? So reach out to all our networks. Uh, they said we should talk to Steve Baxter. Because uh, he's a local, yep. um, you know, entrepreneur in Brisby, uh, so we pitched to him. Uh, I probably have a post I could even share with you. Many. How did you many get many to
0: in front of Steve So he was
1: running uh, River City, La- R- oh, yeah, River yeah. City Labs, um, and so that was an incubator for tech startups. And so we were going along to those events, uh, yeah. and we were chatting with him at one one of the events. Uh, actually, do you, want to get, do you want to tell tell him the answer on uh, what Steve said to us when we pitched the idea?
2: About uh, you should outsource that to. Um, you should look at Arizona for hiring staff yeah, um, right. to, to power that sort of behind-the-scenes stuff because we were looking at, I guess, trying to do this triage, this level one triage sort of stuff with uh, human resources. So we were looking at Philippines initially. Right. Um, and he said, no, how about you have a look at Arizona. process price Why? is much the same hmm. and it's going to be um, the accent, I guess, particularly for the larger market of the US. there will be... They'll be more receptive. Arizona is the
1: biggest uh, per capita Philippines uh, society in U.S. Yeah, oh, right. There you go. Yeah, but I didn't know that. that was I didn't know about. that at the time. Right. Yeah, and so he's like, "Oh no, don't you don't need to build a tech platform uh, to do this to solve the problem? Just go and hire staff." And I was like, "This is from Steve Baxter," <laughs> uh, but it was our first, I guess, inkling to okay, no, we want to raise capital. Um, uh, at that point in time, we had a, um, a client that we had built a, uh, started building an app for before they uh, didn't want to go any further with it. Uh, it's a whole different conversation, and, uh, and they were angel investors. And so um, we were chatting with Steve, Steve Best is his name, um, and he ended up becoming an advisor on our team, and he's like, don't raise capital here in Australia, don't even bother." Go, yes, straight, right. go straight to the US. Yeah, uh, he had not had previously been on one of Steve Baxter's um, tours to the US and ma- met Jason Calacanis and uh, a lot of the other agile investors in the US. And so Steve just uh, Steve Best that is just pivoted directly to that approach. Uh, Bit of a shame
0: his, he can't you know do
1: that in Australia,
0: but anyway yeah, go on.
1: Two main reasons for as this is a longer conversation than probably what we have now, but uh, two main reasons for not raising capital in Australia. One, the the requirements that Australian VCs or angel investors want you to meet is completely different to what the US um, ecosystem is. And so, you know, we had an idea. We didn't really have a product. We kind of had a bit of an MVP that we you know, put together, but it wasn't really a fully blown out product that we had built, and got customers, uh, paying customers, right? Like, you know, hundreds of paying customers. So we hadn't gotten to that point. And, um, the Aussie Investor Network would like to see that. <laughs> They would like to see you A with... Polish product, yeah, pff- assen- Essentially. Steady. Right. Essentially, yeah. And we went out at that point. Um, and so that's why we went down the you know, the US route. We got in contact with Jason K- K- uh, uh We were approached to apply for the launch accelerator program that he had recently launched. COVID hit, so we're talking you know, three years ago. And so we the program we had applied for was to then... We physically had to move to San Francisco. Um, and so we said, yep, we're committed, let's do it. We put the application form in, went through the process, went through, I don't know, how many interviews was it? A fair few? Yeah, you had all the uh, Four or five interviews wow. um, to get through that process uh, to the point of then talking to our customers who were using. So
0: interviews as in you were pitching different yeah, people pitching. essentially?
1: We were yeah. pitching the Launch Accelerator team and the different staff they had involved, including Jason himself, um, to get through the rounds to then so it's to say, hey, I can't remember the numbers now, but say two thousand people applied for this launch accelerator. They only choose seven. Yeah, right. So we'll, made yeah, yep. we made the top seven. Yeah, we made the top seven through that journey. Uh, but that opened up so, uh, opened up our world to venture capital, raising raising capital. Um, what a tech startup really was all about. Like it was, it was completely different from an, running an MSP to going to the tech startup world. Um, yep. And I've it's written starting yeah. a company
2: in the US they required that you had to be a US, US company, mm-hmm. all that sort of fun stuff. Word Doing that from Delaware Australia. or something?
1: Delaware, yeah, Delaware, Delaware Corp. Yeah. Yep. And so, yeah, so this, um, yeah, opened our eyes to the entire world. But the cool thing was, um, I guess, timings is that uh, Because COVID hit, they were at first, I were thinking about closing the uh, accelerator program down. And then I think within 24 hours, they said, "Nope, we're going fully virtual." And so we'll have right. full the first virtual cohort from a. Uh, capital raising uh, standpoint. And you had beauty back like um, over
0: Australia and did it or Well we didn't even leave because we of didn't COVID. Leave. Yeah. Oh, we never oh, left. Stuck we're, stuck,
1: we're stuck in stuck in Brisbane. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. So we did the whole thing virtual. We we're up and uh, we were in the office in the valley at one AM, two AM, three yeah. A. M. Still
2: did it to US time zone.
1: It's US time zone. That. Yeah, yeah. That didn't yeah. change to us. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so we just did yeah, stupidly long hours for months on den, pitching to 1,000, thousand, fifteen hundred angel investors uh, all around the world uh, to raise our million dollars uh, that we raised to kickstart our uh, tribute journey. Cool. That's the short version.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. No doubt there's going to be a lot, lot of lessons learned through that process. Lots of lessons learned, yeah. <laughs> no doubt.
1: Yeah. Well, amazing people we met. Like We got to meet um, like all the, all the majors you'd think of, but then also um, like the person who runs the innovation hub at Disney or yeah, right. the innovation uh, guys at Nike. Um, we got to meet some really cool, cool people. Um, and when I say all the majors, like all the major VCs that are in the US, yep. um, we got to meet. Has that,
3: has that angel world changed much? I remember I've... I've um, Very tightened up. So Calacanis um, was the, you inf- invested in Uber and yep. was it another... There was Airbnb. A, Airbnb, one of uh, the, uh, was it? And he wrote calm. that book. Calm. calm was the other big one. Calm, calm, yeah. Oh, was he in Calm? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, he read the book Angel. Yeah which is all about that angel investing. So that mm-hmm. was, that's I want to say that's almost 10 years ago. That
2: it's book. a while back. Yeah. He's written another one. I don't know if it's come out yet. Oh, he yeah. keeps talking about that he's been spending time okay. writing a second book. So, so you're still in touch with him? Uh, we're part of a few of the network. Yeah, because you, once you've got into the launch yep. um, accelerator, you kind of become part of that community and you remain in there. Yeah. So you, has it shrunk? Is it
1: uh, so, two things. One about the community. There was, I think we we're like the 200th um, co founder, part of the Slack community, and there was 580. Oh, you know? wow. Okay. Um, so, whenever we raise a capital, you know, three years ago to now, he's still actively invested. Even though the market's completely bottomed out, he's still actively investing into somewhat 10 startups a month, sometimes like that. Um, yeah. So, with right. the market bottoming out the last, you know, 12 to 18 months, um, it, the whole landscape's changed. This, this is the mentality, not just Australia, but this is what global now. As a company with an idea or or a founder or an entrepreneur with an idea, uh, there's really – unless it's you know the people extremely well, friends and family, you're not raising capital or you've got track records. So say you've you've already raised capital two, three, four times from VCs and you've raised tens of millions of dollars, then having an idea, they won't back you. Mm, So what you need now is you need an idea, you need product-to-market fit. Product-to-market fit is absolutely crucial. So what that means is you have not just a few paying customers – but tens or hundreds of paying customers. Um, hundreds is a product market fit. Product right. market fit. But the, the number one crucial, I guess, aspect of any technology founder now is recurring revenue. $100,000 MRR is now the number you need to hit before you go out to raise capital. <coughs> MRR. One, $100,000 monthly recurring revenue before you look at raising capital with VCs in this market. <laughs> it will change again. Another yep. 18 months, two years, it will change again. Yep. Um, but talking to a lot of VCs um, around the world, that's like, cool, you've got your product out there, you've got some traction, come back to us when you've got to 70K, come back to us when you've got to 80K, come back to us when you've got 100K. Mm. Yeah, then we can it? talk about raising capital. So I'm like, but if, once you get to 100K MRR, do you really need to raise It's not really a startup anymore, right? It's, not, it's kind of like a business now and – yeah, you, pretty, yeah you, The number. only reason You need to raise capital Then is f- To fuel the fire To yep. you know, hire The you know, 20 BDMs And SDRs And just go out there From a sales and marketing Point of view Yeah mm.
0: Interesting journey I'm conscious of time We've gone a little bit over But uh, what's next For Lucas and Dean And you know, Tribu And what you guys Are working on
1: Tribute these days is really focused on the vendor, so we're doing vendor integration. So selling uh, AI software to MSPs hasn't really gone to plan. Um, I, I knew, you know, building the product was going to be hard. Or actually, I didn't even do any of it; that's all Dean. Um, but I knew, you know, building an AI product wasn't going to be easy. I didn't think selling AI to IT support MSPs was going to be difficult because we were an MSP, and every MSP I spoke to also wanted the software. Uh, but it's been one of the hardest sales journeys uh, I've ever had to go through. What was the main uh, like objection
0: and reason for no there, curiosity? Because, I mean, it's just saving time, right? And everyone wants to save time and therefore be more efficient, make more money, right? So what what was the main objection you were getting?
1: The two main objections. Yeah. We, why do we need to change? Everything is running as it should be. All the resources we have in place. Um, <clears throat> we're making money. Customers are happy, so they say. Everything's fine. So why do we need to change? So change is a big thing. Yep. The the number one factor though, we, this was brought up earlier, is accuracy. Yeah, right. But our staff can do it better.
2: I, w- I would say uh, even though it's accuracy was part of it, it wasn't so much that it was that the AI would have been wrong. It 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 would have been wrong for some of them because they were all realised that actually we have not been doing a good job with our ticket data mm. so far. We have not had good process or policy in place uh, already. Many MSPs out there are quite haphazard, let's call it. Not all of them, the ones that have good structure, mm. they were able to implement it straight out the gate and it's worked a treat. But what we found is it kind of put a spotlight on the fact that oh, they haven't been doing things very well mm. for a long time. And because of that, we would train and then the, the model, the AI, get things wrong because well, they'd been getting things wrong themselves. Mm. So it, it does learn mistakes and I brought up the accuracy thing before. Uh, essentially, if you've got too many mistakes in there, it will start to replicate that. Mm. It does have some tolerance for some mistakes, but not a lot.
0: Yeah. I guess that's almost the reason for a lot of people not adopting in general AI automation in their businesses: that accuracy yeah. piece. Well,
2: yeah. that's right, yeah. Your, your larger MSPs they have a good amount of discipline typically, yeah, right. and they can pick this up. Your smaller um, IT providers and things like that, they they normally start, you know, one, two people, one man band, that yep. normal uh, terminology they don't have much in the way of uh, process discipline mm. let's call it yep. so they're just haphazard they're busy they're going crazy um, and as a result as team members come on and join them on that journey they're equally as chao- chaotic mm. so then you end up with chaotic data and that's pretty hard to train
1: the majority of the MSPs using our software today are the 30 50 staff plus yeah right uh, the larger MSPs and that's only five percent of the market and ninety-five yeah. percent of the MSP market, are the one to thirty staff members.
0: Where you thought it would be have more traction with the smaller market? Mm.
1: Yeah, yeah we thought they'd it. be
2: wanting to like you know bring themselves up to a, a a higher standard when, and they probably do want to bring themselves up to a higher standard, but they realize that they have not done things particularly yep. well in the past.
1: Yeah, yeah fair enough. Yep. So, so vendors is our, our focus now. Yep. Um, which means we want to get our software out to MSPs. How we do that? We're now integrating into a few vendors in the MSP space. Yep. And so it will most likely become that whole white-labeled MSPs won't even know they're using our software because it's to go through the vendor. We help vendors embrace and adopt AI because they're all talking about it. Yep. So if we're going to help our vendors adopt AI, it just happens we've built the model for MSPs, then it's a win-win. Mm-hmm.
0: Got us the time, so I'll we'll wrap up there. But uh, thanks for coming. Kind of really, it was really get, good to get some um, your insight around AI, around what's going to happen next year, and how businesses are leveraging it now, and um, how your view on AI and what's happening. So it's an exciting time, and I uh, appreciate you ke- coming in and sharing the insights. Thank you.
1: Thank you very much. Yeah. Thanks for having us. No sure. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys.